Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Alan Castell from Winnipeg's Alpha Technologies. We'll talk to him about 5G. We'll go to Aurora Farm. There are some goats out there that would like your Christmas tree. And Carolyn Class will join us from Connexus Counseling. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. It's uh, Thursday. If you're having a hard time keeping track like me, it's Thursday. Uh, Alan Castell from Winnipeg's Alpha Technologies is in studio. Always appreciate you coming in studio, pal. I appreciate that. Thank you very that. much. No, I, I love coming down. So 5G, um, we had a story earlier and we've been talking about 5G today. You and I have had conversations about 5G in the past. There's, uh, you know, some talk here in Canada whether or not we should have mm-hmm. this Chinese firm, Huawei, Huawei. Yep. Uh, do our 5G. What are your thoughts on on the on that part of it? Are we opening ourselves up uh, when it comes to privacy by having a Chinese uh, company do our 5G? I think the thing we have to think about, Hal, is do we need this? And yes, it's a Chinese company that has, has had a significant lead. And I've read stories that say that part of what's going on politically has had to do with slowing them down because Canada was going to be one of their test beds because right. we were welcoming to this coming in, mm-hmm. whereas the states had done a little more testing and weren't so welcoming. So who knows the real reasons behind it and other yeah. companies have caught up. But what people have to understand is this is going to connect our mobile devices and our other items like iPads and that faster to a fiber network. And one story, one that you had you know, sent over to me that I listened to, talked about doctors being able to do operations using robotics. Mm-hmm. If we we're going to do that, I don't want them going over anything wireless at the end of the day. Honestly, yeah. the ability to have fiber being run to both homes and businesses is there. It's It exists now. Yeah. It is not a harmful technology, whereas there's still a lot of questions about whether 5G should be permitted to be in public space. And and used for things like that that exactly. are, you know, potentially lives are on the line, right? Is it necessary? Yeah. Again, my cell phone has never given me an issue getting data that I needed it to be a couple of times faster, like right. whether it's an LTE network and with the proliferation. And this is from a tech guy. I mean, you're a tech guy I'm saying I'm pushy this. and picky yeah. with this, but everywhere I go, whether you're a Shaw or a Bell customer, you've got wireless hotspots set up. Polo Park Mall, for yeah. example, your location here, mm-hmm. I can connect to a hotspot without even having to use my cellular data. So why really would I want to then traverse over something that potentially may be harmful in a panel that I don't even recognize that's now shooting beams through me? So... We've seen tests on bees and insects being harmed yeah. by this technology. There's the health side of it. We don't know it yet how it might World affect health us. World yeah. health and, and I, the science behind the what they're saying about it being harmful makes mm. a lot of sense to somebody who understands wavelength and frequency. Yeah. These are high-frequency beams that can get through your epidermis. Yeah. And other technology has been tested. This hasn't to the extent. I personally would rather they test somewhere else or do some more testing before we start to just pop it up, assuming yeah. that it's good. Right. Yeah. Now, and, and I hear everything you're saying, but as you know, we can't stop or slow technology, no. right? It's no. coming. Like, yep. you know, you, I hear everything you're saying and all the concerns you have, um, but it's coming. And, and so are we, by slowing down the addition of 5G in Canada, are we maybe putting ourselves behind other countries that jump in and go for it? Or are we, are we hurting ourselves in other ways? hurting ourselves or potentially taking a step where everybody else is sitting back and letting us be the guinea pigs. Mm. I mean, why is the states not doing it? Why are countries with large penetrations of people, for example, India and China themselves, 
it's in certain spaces, but why is there this whole push to wanting to do it here? And why is the states being so hands up in the air for some reason? Is it political by nature or is it, you know, we're health by nature? So again, that's a tough question to answer. Mm -hmm. I don't think slowing down is going to hurt us that much. I think refusing it from the outset would be maybe a mistake because we don't want to put ourselves back at the end of the line, but neither are we going to necessarily want to be running in the front of the line when we're running into an area we really don't know. And I probably should have said, what is 5G to begin with? But I think most people know what it is now. Basically, it's a faster wireless internet, Mm -hmm. but there will be more antennas. We'll see many more antennas. And as you mentioned, they're smaller antennas. They're less visible. It's hard. We know where a cell tower is now. When Mm -hmm. we go by, we can see the the three panels on the sides facing out. You won't be able to tell because these can be disguised as artwork. They can Mm. be made to look like some type of a fancy sculpture. There's so many things you can do with very small panels with paint and and with vinyl and with decals. So we're not going to necessarily know where they are. And again, for what purpose? Do we need that much data? We're streaming high def now through our phones. How much more high def do your eyes get, Hal, or mine? Do you know? How much more data do we need? So when there's a need for it, it makes sense. But at this time, it almost seems to be a push for, we want you to buy the next thing and we're going to make you buy the next thing because you're going to think that you Mm -hmm. need it. I don't think we really need it at this point. I don't see there any problems. Yeah. I want to, I, I, I listened to the final word today from Jeff Courier. We should get you in here next week uh, because the Consumer Electronics Show is happening in Vegas mm, next week. I've been before, yeah. You've been down there I've been there down there, there yeah, years ago, yeah. Maybe what you should do is is let's plan uh, for you to come in on the right day at the right time to come in and talk about maybe some of the highlights from, sure, from that show. Yeah. Uh, so 5G obviously is something we're talking about heading into 2020. What else? What other technological advances might we see over the next year in 2020 oh. or even in the next decade? 3D printing is, is accelerating. Yeah, I mean, that's one we've that, spoken yeah. about, and that's mm. just getting better, and, and bigger companies are getting involved in doing things And I'm in seeing that it way. advertised on TV now, right? Like Absolutely. there are companies saying, hey, you need to have one of these. It's We, we kind of were talking about that mm. over a year ago, I yeah. think we'd said that. Yeah. You're, you're seeing, again, everything getting you know smaller phones, phone technology. Microsoft's got some very, very interesting technology coming in, a couple of products of theirs that have multiple screens on them. So they're now looking at entering back into the cell phone wars with Mm -hmm. some product that they're naming a little different, but they're just a different name for for cell phones. Everything, notebooks, tablets getting smaller. I mean, we're we're looking at writing technology is improving drastically. I'm seeing more people using handwriting technology now. So... um, it's going to be an exciting year, Hal. It's do going to be an exciting about, year. Do you worry about robots? Because you, we talk about the concerns with 5G. We hear people say, you know, robots are going to take a bunch of jobs. Do you think robotics, or, or is it sort of like the way the horse of, the horse and buggy went and the car came along? Exactly. Is it so going I to be like that? Or be is, some, yeah. some jobs, but those jobs are ones that typically we don't want to do. I mean, why do we want to have humans doing a job that may be harmful, dangerous? Um, I mean, why risk life if we don't have to risk life? So no matter what the argument for the job part of it is, I don't mm-hmm. think you can out-argue that one single point. And I think what it does is it creates a whole new industry. So we see industries fail, and then we see industries created. And that's going to happen. That's just like natural evolution in, in what I do and, and even in what you do. Yeah. It may not have changed some, but it still has changed. But you're still here. It didn't get rid of it. Well, right? yeah, you're absolutely right. Although it is interesting because, you know, when I started many years ago, you couldn't 
couldn't do a radio show from a remote location. No. Now you can do it literally with your phone. I mean, it's incredible, the technology. And there are some jobs, you're right, that will never change. But I, I do think we need to look at it glass half full, not half empty, and realize that, yes, some jobs will go away, but others will be created. You guys adapted. You added social media divisions to your company. You yeah. did things that, while you may have lost jobs in industries that, that kind of went by, as newspaper mm-hmm. did, as yep. all media industries did, right. I think the smart ones kind of figured out a way to use the credibility they had established. You see, to me, typical newspaper, media, television lends credibility. The stories I see on TV or read in a newspaper are credible to Mm. me. There's so much proliferation of of news stories and clickbait on the internet that you really can't filter it out. So... When I need to trust something, yeah. I tend to come to the You the go to those traditional you guys. resources. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Al, yeah. thanks a lot for this. Happy You're New welcome. Year. Happy and New let's, Year, too. Uh, let's maybe do that, get you in talking about the Consumers electro- Sounds uh, good. Consumer Electronics Show to. in Vegas next week. Alan Castell from Alpha Technologies right here in Winnipeg. So I think Goat, we talked about it being Mew Day today for cats. Uh, I think that I think goats are second only to cat. Cats are are leading online for whatever reason. Cats are big on on the internet, uh, but goats are big as well. For example, as we get ready for our next guest, I thought you might get a kick out of this. As you know, I scour the internet so you don't have to. Here is Bon Jovi, one of my favorite Bon Jovi songs, with a bit of help from goats. And that's the- You like that, Matt? Actual are, goats. Are, are Tommy and Gina goats? <laughs> Is the mystery finally out? No, they aren't. But they, goats they, did help with that version of the song. They work on the yes. docks, Tommy and Gina. Oh, hang on. I've got some Katy Perry coming up to end the interview. Uh, Ainsley Kerchak joins us now on the phone from Aurora Farm. Ainsley, good afternoon. Hello. Why are Hi. goats so high? Why are goats so popular? They're just great. <laughs> They're very sociable. You can really cuddle up with them. I describe them as weird dogs. They come for attention, and they're just really curious animals, and they make awesome noises, as you just heard. Yes, absolutely. So my friend uh, Carly was sharing your uh, uh, post on Instagram the other day, and she took her Christmas tree to Aurora Farm because your goats love Christmas trees. They sure do. Yeah, we ask for them every year, and they are their favorite treat this time of year. Why? They eat them? Yes. So goats are actually browsers, they're called, instead of grazers. So given the choice, they will always eat trees. The only thing is they will eat trees down to the bark. So they enjoy eating the bark. They enjoy eating the needles. So you kind of have to keep it a special treat for them unless you want all your trees to be gone. But that's why this time of year is their favorite time. And the needles of the Christmas tree uh, do something for them, right? Yes, they're natural dewormers for their system. And they're a nice, like, health boost this time of year when everything's a bit dry and not as fresh and green. But, yeah, last year we got so many trees that in the springtime we actually didn't need to deworm our goats like we always do because they ate so many needles. So kind of a cool way to get rid of the Christmas tree, but you're also really serving a purpose. For sure, and the goats really appreciate it. Yeah, that is very cool. Um, Mm -hmm. How can people get their trees, just drop them off at Aurora? Tell us where Aurora is. Yeah, we're at 4265 Waverly Street, so we're three miles south of the perimeter, technically in city limits, even though it doesn't feel like it. 
Um, we'd prefer if people could drop them off on Saturday and Sunday between 11 to 4. But if you need to come midweek or outside of that time, just send us a message on Facebook or Instagram and we could for sure sort something out. And obviously make sure all the tinsel and that sort of stuff is off the tree, right? Yes, and double check for ornaments. I've already had to rescue one ornament that was left behind. <laughs> Luckily the goats won't eat it, but wow. <laughs> it get dirty. And how many years have you done this? You said you've done this for other years now. Yeah, I mean, Louise is the owner of the farm. I've been working there for about six years now, but she's been doing it for 16 years. But in the past, she'd have to go and seek out the trees herself. And now we appreciate that people will come bring it to us instead. And how many trees might you get? Last year, we must have got about 150, 200 trees, and it was awesome. They ate them entirely down to the, all the way into the spring, and then we um, turned them into wood chips for all our gardens. And what do you, you're raising the goats for what reason at Aurora? Tell us what the goats do at Aurora. Tell us about Aurora a bit. For sure. Um, The goats mainly produce, we have dairy goats, so we milk a bunch of them throughout the year to make goat milk soap is our main product that we sell. We like to sell it. We sell it at a couple places in the city, but mostly at craft sales and from our shop. And most excitingly, we've started doing goat yoga. This will be our third year, the baby goat yoga in the springtime. So, well, if we have babies about end of April, beginning of May, and then we run goat yoga throughout the summer. And I've always, you know, I've made, I'll be honest, I've made fun (laughs) of the goat yoga on the air before. What what is the point of that? Or is it just a, a, a way to get people to do yoga? It's more goat than yoga, to be honest, most of the time. <laughs> like that, so people, more goat we, than yoga. Yeah, for sure. We definitely have some people who will pay their money and just sit there and play with the goats, and that's totally fair. And we have a really awesome yoga instructor who's totally happy to let you do that. But it's also just fun to see them. They really like to show off when they're babies about how fast they can run and they can jump on you and just do parkour around the arena. It's really fun. They are an interesting animal, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. Yeah. Did you ever think you would be uh, operating a, a goat farm at, at any point? Or, like, what, I'm curious to know what was your education, of any, and how did you get into this? Um, my personal education, I've known, I've been involved with the farm for a long time. I've been friends with the owner's daughter. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually took linguistics in school, which doesn't really have much to do with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I guess I could talk to the goats better. Yes, um, absolutely you can, sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, I just started working here in the summer and haven't stopped. It's a lot of fun, always something different. It sounds, and, like, it sounds yeah. like it would be a lot of fun. So, again, Definitely. Christmas trees uh, yeah. on the weekend or message you on social media if you can't make it on the weekend. But give us the times again on the weekend and, again, where you're at. Yeah, we're at 4265 Waverly Street. And if you can come between 11 and 4, that's great. And one quick thing, I know a lot of people are worried if their trees have been painted or treated somehow. The goats are really smart, and especially when they have a lot of options of trees, they won't eat them if there's something wrong with them. So don't worry about it. Just bring them out, and we'll let you know. Okay. You can drop them off either way. Ainsley, excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ainsley Kerchak, she is at Aurora Farm, and they want your Christmas trees, not your fake ones, your real ones. They want your real Christmas trees. The goats eat them. They love them. And they had so many last year, they did not have to deworm the goats because the pine uh, needles are good at deworming. Isn't that interesting, eh? And just before we head to a break here, as promised, we had uh, Bon Jovi there and the goats. Here is Katy Perry and the goats. Hal Anderson Afternoons on CJOB.
in studio as she is uh, every Thursday. How many years have you done this now? This goes way back to you and Dahlia used to do this. Eh? Yeah, yeah, I think it's about six. Six years? I think so. Wow. <laughs> I know, crazy. I Sometimes when I walk into the studio, I just think, is this really me? Because I just had for such a long time this fixed belief that if you put a microphone in front of my face, I lose the ability to speak in full sentences. Yeah. And here you guys have me back. It still never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. But you know what? I used to, and I was a listener back then. Okay. And I always would hear you with Dahlia and Cyrus with Dahlia. Mm. And you and him are two things that I have inherited that are Aww. great. They're one of my favorite part of the week on Thursday with you and on Friday with Cyrus. Awesome. So it's excellent. Are you, you're not feeling well. The bug's going around. I've got the bug, yeah. What do we, what do we do about that? You know, we were talking about sick days in the newsroom a little bit and stuff, you know, like do you, when you're sick, do you stay home? Do you go in and get other people sick? Like, I never know what to do. I'm old school, Carolyn. I'm like, I, unless I'm on desk door, I'm going to be in there. I'm going to work. And, and I'm now realizing that I'm, I'm really in, in a dinosaur when it comes to that. Well, you're asking somebody who's self-employed, right? And so... <laughs> Uh, my husband, when he went to the, he broke something once and the doctors, he said, how long will I be off doc? And the doctor said, well, are you self-employed or do you work for somebody? Because right. it's a whole lot quicker if yeah. you're self-employed, right? So I think we are aware that when you're sick, whether you go in or not is only partially dependent on how sick you are and partially dependent on the culture or the workplace or the environment that you live in, you know, what, and um, many of us were raised that um, you have to be just about hospitalized to skip a day of work. Um, certainly that's the environment that my parents raised me in. And uh, I think there's sometimes when you get sick days for a reason, and part of it is is that you know I'm I'm a walking germ machine right now, right? I'm going to stay as far away from people as I can so that I don't make other people sick. Part of it is consideration that way, and part of it is I think you heal faster if you take care of yourself. So I was really grateful as a self-employed person to be sick over New Year's because I had the chance to just kind of hunker down and uh, take care of myself yeah. um, while you know yeah, I was mm-hmm. off anyways. Yeah, we're going to talk more about sick days uh, in about half an hour. Dinah Foxhall's working on that story, one of our global news reporters. So we'll get into sick days and all that kind of stuff in a bit. I was just curious because you came in and you're not feeling well, and I appreciate you being here. Um, New Year's resolutions. We're talking about these a bit. Number one. I I shared with you this uh, this list. Number one New Year's resolution is uh, eating better, losing some weight, uh, being healthier. And then we're also talking about the idea of micro resolutions. I'm not a big fan of making that great big one at the start of the year because usually I think two, three weeks in, if you're lucky, <laughs> if it lasts that long, it kind of goes to the, because I think we sometimes the start of a year is is an opportunity for us to say, here's what I haven't been doing and I'm going to do more. And we sometimes bite off more than we can chew. Oh, isn't that the truth, right? Um, I think it seems like about four to five New Year's resolutions are done by the end of January. So with an 80% failure rate, I think that's um, a good advice for all of us, a good reminder for all of us to to not remember that we don't want to set ourselves up for failure. And if you have a child um, to say you need to get 100% on this next test with material that you aren't at all familiar with and they don't get it, then it's discouraging and they're not going to actually try for the next test. When you set somebody up for failure, they give up. Uh, And I think it's a healthy way of thinking, how can I set myself up for success in I'm an occupational therapist by undergrad degree, and we often talk about the just right challenge. Uh, if you set a goal that's too high, it just becomes discouraging and people give up. If you set a goal that's too low, there's no point and people don't even try it because it's just too easy. What is the just right challenge for you when you think about, well, I want to eat better? If you say that you want to 
you know, revolutionize your diet and give up all sweets forever, you're going to give up on that. How is it that you can have the just right challenge of what do I want to do with my diet that will be a challenge, but is actually something that I can achieve? It's sustainable. It's something that I want to give it a shot, and I think I can be successful. And that's where some of the micro-resolutions can come in really handy. Yeah, and I read off the micro-resolutions earlier. This is, I guess, a producer actually at CNN that's come up with this idea, and he's done it for a few years. And I mean, some of it is just stuff I think we should be doing anyhow, like med- not maybe not meditating, but meditating, spending more time in nature, reading poetry, eating whole foods, making gestures of gratitude to people. So some of this stuff is stuff we should be, uh, we'd be doing anyhow. Well, are we, though, as much as we would like? Right. And so um, I have, I, I like to consider um, my resolutions in line with um, what we know it to be healthy. And when Bronnie Ware, she writes a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. She spent many years working in palliative care. And what sh- she found as people were getting to the end of their life was people wished they had spent more time with their friends. They wished they hadn't worked so hard. They wished they had let themselves just feel what they were feeling rather than sort of shooting themselves into what they should feel. Mm. Um, those are the kinds of things that at the end of the re- end of their lives, people regret. So I think, why shouldn't we find ways of making those resolutions in line with that so that at the end of your life, you won't, you will ha- you won't have those regrets. So it's about being grateful. It's about spending more time with your family. It's about slowing down and noticing the little things. I think those are really good ideas. And I love the idea of those micro-resolutions. And the reason it falls in line with what I do as a therapist, where I almost never send people home with homework. This is what I want you to do from now until the next time I see you again. You have to go home and do this. Uh, Because what that does is it often sets people up for failure. Because often if I'm assigning people to do something, it's because they're not doing it and it makes sense to me they should do it. But there's also a reason why they haven't been doing it, right? Because if it was that easy and that obvious, they would already be doing it. So even if I think that it might be something obvious of why don't you sit down for 10 minutes after supper and talk with each other, even do it twice a week. If they haven't been having that small conversation before, then to set them up to do that and to set them up is setting them up for failure because if it was that easy, they had already been doing it. So Mm -hmm. what I do is I set people up for experiments. Why don't you go home and try doing this um, a couple of times a week between now and the next time I see you? And I want to know how it goes. And the thing with experiments is you have variables, a dependent variable and an independent variable. You change something and you see what happens. And so an experiment can't go wrong because even if you don't do it, we can look at, so what stopped you from doing it? What stopped you from trying it? Or if you tried it and it didn't go well, how come it didn't go well? And so there's a growth mindset to it where you try to make, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at at maybe not eating snacks after supper. Well, that was too hard. Why was it too hard? What could we do to make it easier? What could we do to adjust it to make it more doable so that you get incremental change that works towards your goal rather mm. than I'm going to do this big grand thing. Oh, it doesn't work. Okay, I'll just go back to the way I've always done it before. Yeah, It's almost like you're letting yourself off the hook kind of, eh? Yeah, yeah. There's this sort of feeling of, well, I'm a failure, so I'll just live in failure. And what I would say is, how can we set you up for these little micro successes or even micro experiments where you you try something and then when it doesn't go like you expect it will, then it's an opportunity for reflection rather mm-hmm. than, well, it's a failure and I give up. It, you can sort of have a conversation with yourself or with somebody that you care about to say, I was tried this and it didn't work. Can we talk about why it didn't work? And so we figure out a way to make it work better. Yeah. And then the other one I wanted to ask you, 
you about a lot of people make January a dry month, right? I'm not going to drink in the month mm. of January. Or I've seen a new one now. Uh, uh, people are going to not eat animals during the month of January. It's, it's a vegan month, right? Okay. So uh, that's kind of, I guess, what we've been talking about, although... It is very absolute for a period of time. Right. So is that another way to look at it? Not not doing it for a year or longer, but say, I'm going to do it for an amount of time, a month, say, for example, and then it becomes habit, and well, then it's easier. isn't that the thing, right? It's pretty hard to say, I'm going to do something from now until forever, because then as soon as you fail, then you think, oh, I can't, like, I just, I can't do this forever, so I'm going to just give in and I'm going to fail now. Yeah. Whereas if you say, I'm going to do it for 30 days, most people, you could stick for something for 30 days, mm-hmm. and it's a chance to try it on as a habit. And sometimes you might say, well, at the end of that month without eating any animals, you might say, actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I'm going to go back to eating meat, but maybe I'm only going to have it once or twice a week instead of mm-hmm. every day. So you have a chance to try something on, see how it fits, yep. and then at the end of the month, modify to something that's going to work for you over the long term. But when you've only done it for 30 days, it has a chance to become a habit. But when you're craving meat seven days in, you can say, well, in three weeks, I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like you can kind of yeah, talk to yourself. Yeah, you can see the through. light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and when there's a light at the end of the tunnel, just about anything seems doable. And before we move on here, Carolyn, I also wanted to ask you, uh, the uh, Lotto Max is up to $70 million. That's crazy. We were just talking off air about income. And, and what did you say? Get you, you, Your income gets to 70 and you're sort of, you max out at happiness at about 70 grand a year. That's what Malcolm Gladwell says in his book, The Tipping Point, that um, after $70,000, your happiness level doesn't increase with more income. And after, I think it's 140000 your happiness level starts to go down. And why, any theories on why so many people that win big bucks in lotteries end up losing it all? It, it, why is, any any thoughts on why that would be, because it's fun when we see a big number, I'll be honest with you, I only buy lottery tickets when the number's <laughs> big like that. I go, okay. oh, I got to get in on this, you know? It, but, and it, I'm going to be your new best friend if you Well, win. yes, you will. You are my best, you were one of my best friends anyhow, so you'd probably get a little chunk of cash. <laughs> Uh, I would start paying for my sessions. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I would do. I start paying for my sessions. But you know, you see a big number like that, you start to get excited. And you think, oh, you start imagining, you know, all the things you'd spend that money on. And and uh, I, I'm just I'm, I'm and I'm I'm throwing this at you out of left field. But I was just curious why so many people that win big bucks like that end up losing it. Do they not have? Is it because they've never had that kind of money before and they don't know how to deal with it, or what? Well, I think there is something. There's a learning curve to having a whole lot of wealth. And when you get plunged into it suddenly, you may not have the ability or have had that advantage of the learning curve. And I think there's a lot of demands on people that are extra wealthy that um, we're not familiar with. And you have to figure out how to deal with those. And so I think there's a real danger for people that win a lot. Um, And joy, interestingly, is one of the most vulnerable emotions to feel. And so for example, if you're an alcoholic, you're just as likely to fall off the wagon when you win the lottery as when somebody very close to you dies, right? Like it's very hard to feel that much joy to have all that freedom. It it creates, it's really hard. And so I think it's, it's a challenge for people when they suddenly sort of have this wealth of wealth. Um, sometimes people don't know how to handle it and um, they can go to excess and they can make decisions that they never could have made if they didn't have those money and those decisions aren't always good ones. I got to ask you about that joy. Say that again. Joy, joy is the, one of the most vulnerable emotions to feel. That's interesting, eh? Yes. Um, it's really hard because there's this feeling of, oh, this feels so good. This is so fantastic. Um, and then it feels like, oh, this is too good to be true. And so you, you sometimes you sabotage it or you don't live fully into that joy because 
it just feels really dangerous because to to become disappointed when you're in joy, the crash is much long, much deeper, right? Like if joy puts, puts you to the top of the mountain, yeah, you got to fall a lot. Then further. you got to fall a lot further. So a lot of us would rather stay in disappointment rather than become disappointed. And mm. so joy is can be really challenging to feel. A lot of us avoid joy without realizing that's what we're doing. Yeah, interesting. All right, uh, and you found a great article here. I think it was in Forbes. Yes, five healthy social media habits you can start today. So this kind of fits with our New Year's resolution theme a bit. Yeah, we talked a couple weeks ago about how people say they don't have time to exercise. And then when you measure how much time they're on their phones, you realize if they would take 20% of the time they're on their phones and turn it to exercise, they would have all the activity they need, right? My phone tells me every week how many hours I spend on my phone, how much screen time I put in. And, and I go, you, well, it, it blows me. I go, no way. There's no chance I was on my phone that much. And yet. Yeah, and yet we are. Yeah. So can we go one to five? You pick the order and and maybe just uh, tell us what it is and, and just quickly what okay, it's about. Okay, so, so one is to set clear usage limits that you recognize. Some pe- A lot of us have to be on our phones for one reason or another because of our jobs or because of family that lives far away. Um, but figure out what is appropriate for you. Set that target. And then now there's all sorts of apps like Moment, Rescue Time, Break Free, things like yep. that, that will help you be able to reach those targets, remind you when you're close, that you find sort of bumpers that that guardrails in your life that will help you limit the amount of time that you're on your phone because you want to be with the ones who are there, who, who you're with. Mm-hmm. The second is to use social media apps purposefully. So when you go on your phone, what am I going to do? How long is that going to take? And when am I going to get off? Because Have a reason to go on, not just to go on and browse. And Because we've all got sucked yeah. into that vortex, right? Yep. You were talking about those cute goat videos. Yes. <laughs> right? Like that you just, you go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. Before you know it, yep. you've wasted YouTube so is, much. YouTube is terrible for so that for me. So much time. Yeah. And the, that's time that mm-hmm. you don't feel good at the end of those hours. Yep. And if you were exercising, you're with friends, or you're playing a game, board game with people, yep. you're going to feel enjoy like you've enjoyed that time. True. The next is don't be a jerk. <laughs> That's how it says in the article that you resist the urge to check your phone when you're with friends or family. Mm. And we have something called a screen catcher in our house. Um, it's a little container on the wall by the dining room table. You put your phone in there before meals and you don't look at them. You don't check them. Sometimes we will be very deliberate if we're talking about a topic at the table and we're wondering like, so how does that work? And then we'll pull out a phone to check something so that we can increase our conversation about mm. it. But people do not check their phones for other things that are at the table. Yeah. And sometimes people say, oh, I, I need I need to be able to be in touch with people. 20 years ago, we did not have these phones at the table, and really it was okay. We yeah. all survived. Leave your phone in the car when you're going into a movie. Like Find ways of just being apart from it so that you are with the ones yeah. that you are with. You've talked about your screen catcher before, and I think that's a great idea. And I heard Loren McNabb on the start, maybe this morning or one morning here in the last little while, say that's one of the things they're going to do in their family in 2020, right? Put the phone over there, right? At yeah. the, you know, whatever that is, because you're right. It, it becomes habit forming, and we just grab our phone for no particular right. reason, and we don't have to be on it, but we're on it. Other people will have a basket at the door, so if they're having a party, you leave your phone in the door, and you enjoy the party with yeah. the people that you're with, right? right? The next one is pause before you hit post. So on social media, when you think about posting something, ask yeah. yourself, why? That's a good one. Why am I doing this? To what end? And I think a lot of times we post because we feel like we need a bunch of likes mm-hmm. so that we can feel good. Well, that actually isn't going to work. Um, sometimes you're trying to pretend you're living one life while you're actually really living another. So I think it's about being authentic with yourself and mm-hmm. posting when you know that it has a purpose. 
And the last one is about getting inspired, not jealous. When you see other people's posts on social media, that you are grateful for the successes that you've had, you wonder how they got there, you might figure out if that's something you want, how you might work towards that. Um, and recognizing that you often measure your everyday 24-7 to somebody else's highlight reel, and you will always lose. Mm. Um, and so it, sometimes it means deleting those people that are always posting these fantastic moments because it's not good for you. The, mm -hmm. All of that might be true in in a measured way for them, although there's lots they're not posting that isn't so good. But if you find that it takes you to dark places, that you only keep the people on your social media that you know are good for you. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, I'm going to hit you with a, a, what are you going to do in 2020? Are, are you, <laughs> uh, have you got a New Year's resolution or anything you want to be better at or not do as much of? Or? Well, my New Year's resolution is to create more margin in my life. I want, you know, on a page, there's writing and then there's margins around the outside and those margins make it possible for you to read. And what I want to do is have enough margins that I have when somebody says, can we do this? I don't have to see if I can shoehorn them in and then resent that I have to see them. I want to be able to, when a friend says, can we get together? I want to be able to say, yes, absolutely. I would love to because I have room in my schedule to do that. So my, that's my New Year's resolution is to create more margin. That's a good one. Thank See, you. See, this is why I have you. This is why you're here every week for years and years and years. <laughs> way before, way before me. This is why you're here. More can you tell? Can you tell my kids that that's how you? <laughs> I'm just worried that you're going to come to me one day and go. I need more margins in my life, Hal. I will not be doing two thirty to three on Thursday afternoons. No, you're too good a friend for me to do that. And you are a good friend as well. I wish you all the best in 2020, and I look forward to many great conversations yes. with you here on Thursday afternoons. Amen. Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. The website is conexuscounseling.ca, conexuscounseling.ca. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.